0: Welcome to Navigating the Future, One Decision at a Time. I'm your host Alex DeBrain, and in this series I'll be sharing a chapter per episode of my memoir Escaping the Amazon for those that would prefer to listen to it instead of reading it. Hopefully some of the decisions I made through my journey can help some of you navigate the chaos we call life. Subscribe to my podcast, follow me on Twitter at alexthebrain1 or subscribe to my mailing list on alexthebrain.com to stay up to date as I release each episode. Any comments or feedback is always welcomed and encouraged, so please drop me a mail at info at alexdebrain.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy. The Elect Each legionnaire is your brother in arms, whatever his nationality, his race or his religion might be. You show him the same close solidarity that links members of the same family. I tossed and turned all night and woke that morning well before my alarm. I lay still, staring blankly at the mouldy ceiling of my tawdry room. The light had penetrated the shutters and like an alcoholic on a bender, I didn't know if it was dusk or dawn. I heard Reynolds horns and police sirens in the distance as France's second largest city also arose from its slumber. I felt completely hungover, though I hadn't drunk a drop. My anxiety came from fear. This was my second day locked in my room, buying myself time as cabin fever enveloped me. I was inching closer to doing what, up to now, was merely a fantasy, a cruel joke over grilled bourgeois. As means of reassuring myself, I flipped through the crumpled foreign Legion pamphlet that was now still damp from armpit sweat. Esprit of corps, discipline, action. I had some cash, cold feet and was already homesick. A thousand excuses for not joining raced through my mind. Benno's last words lingered in my ear. Don't be like those lesser men who gave up. But how would I feel if I came home with my tail between my legs having chickened out at the last minute? I'd eventually have to confess the truth to my lager's swilling mates over grilled meat. But just as I lapsed into sleep again, a screeching sound next to my ear shocked me out of the bed immediately. I threw my cheap alarm clock across the room and started packing my meagre belongings into my rucksack. I grabbed it, my wallet and passport, and headed for the door. As I reached out for the handle, my hand trembled. Cold beads of sweat formed on my forehead, as I prepared to face the schoolground bully, knowing that I was outmatched. I'm ready for whatever may come, I said as I left the comfort of civilization for the last time. I strode towards the de Marseille as the icy gusts pushed me along. I wasn't prepared for European winter and hoped that the Legion had better cold weather gear than I did. I had the false impression that France's Mediterranean coast was always hot and steamy, replete with sunbathers year-round. If I'd done some proper research, I would have seen that the Legion's training centre was tucked inland, before the foothills of the Pyrenees. With my very last euros, I bought a regional ticket to Aubagne, outside Marseille, headquarters of the French Foreign Legion. I took an empty seat next to a window, wanting to enjoy the last melancholy moments of southern France as the tourist. The sound of the train's wheels chugging over the tracks lulled me into a trance. I imagined myself bunkering down in some flaming town, brother-in-arms to my side shouting, COVER ME! as we ran from one stone hovel to another. We'd push forward like a well-oiled machine to capture the enemy without losing any comrades. The sudden whistle of the train approaching my stop woke me back to reality. I instinctively reached my wallet as I considered the possibility that the Legion wouldn't accept me in which case I'd be hungry and homeless in a foreign country. But I subconsciously wanted to have no material belongings to go back to, not even a coin to make a phone call. I walked off the platform and approached a stranger who was leaning against the wall finishing his cheap cigarette. Pardon, I'm looking for La Légion. Oui, oui, he said in a thick accent. I'm going that way if you want a lift. I accepted as he flicked his cigarette and opened the back door of his old Citron. We pulled off at a speed I didn't think was possible for such a jalopy. You wish to join our legion, we? Oui? I often see many a sad man drifting up the hill to do the same. Damn straight, I smiled. He flew around a traffic circle while searching for his lighter, gesticulating wildly. I live here, and I don't know what on earth happens in that regiment secre. I've always wanted to be a legionnaire, he said, lighting another smoke. But I don't feel tough enough. In another life, without kids and a wife, I would try. You see, you are lucky because you have nothing to lose. We all have goals, but how many of us really pursue them? Life passes fast, and you make your choices. Dreams and nightmares, sometimes they are all the same thing. The Frenchman interrupted his own monologue and stopped the car next to a stone wall. On it was a flaming grenade military insignia beside the words Legion Etrangere. This is the end of the line, he said, pointing a bony finger at what lay before me. He lit a third cigarette before speeding off again with a sympathetic and regretful frown on his face. I now stood before the bricks and mortar embodiment of my life's hopes and dreams. Still in a trance, I scanned the red roofed building in front of me. I passed through the low stone wall via a narrow gate that read entry and then followed a few steps towards what looked like an information window. This is where I finally had to pull the trigger. My heart beat through my chest. My legs became numb and weak from adrenaline. My steps slowed unconsciously as if to give me time to change my mind. All I could hear was my inner voice saying, turn around, go home. You're unfit. You will fail. This really isn't what you want. I felt this way when my parents took me to church as I often felt unworthy to be in God's presence. But it wasn't the Almighty planting a seed of doubt now. It was me, and the voice was now screaming. They don't want you. You're not brave enough. Make up an excuse as to why you weren't accepted. Nobody will know. But I would know. I knocked on the glass window, straining to see inside, and then glanced at my watch. 12.05. Nothing happened. I knocked again, louder. I then heard rushed footsteps approaching from inside, and the door swung open. savez vous <laughs> parler le de deshinei, A burly red-faced corporal chef shouted at me in irritation, pointing to a green steel bench along the wall. I barely made out that he was calling me an idiot for bothering him during lunch. He slammed the door shut and I sat down and waited. As expected, my first encounter with the legion was a proper ass-chewing. At least it wasn't an ass-beating. About an hour later, from out of nowhere, a bawling Romanian in tattered clothing fell at my feet. I came from my country to join the legion. And now I've got no hope, no money, he fretted. Come back with papers, different corporal said as he slammed the door behind us again. 1.30 and still no one let us in. Two o'clock and I started to wonder whether I should try once more. The medieval rule of St. Benedict stated that a novice should be rejected three times by the monastery before being accepted into the order. At three o'clock I was about to knock again when the door opened. The first corporal chef appeared, wiping crumbs from his knife and smelling of vinegary wine. How dare I disturb him during his meal? I must have been asking too much by volunteering to die for his army. Then again, I was bad with dealing with pride. I always expected to be thanked for a favour. The legion would change that attitude very quickly. Don't him have passport, he snapped, generously dosing my jacket in spit. I nervously handed it to him. He turned and walked away with purpose. Not knowing what I was supposed to do, I followed him through a green gate that led onto the belly of the beast. In front of us was a large parade ground, which I recognised from old dusty books and photos. In the centre of it stood the famous Monumental Moor that was dragged to France from Algeria when the legion left their original home in 1962. Every stone was hewn from the Saharan granite, carved out and polished by generations of legionnaires. I could picture the pioneer sappers in their leather aprons marching in unison, with axes over their shoulders, their beards immaculately kept and their kepi blancs glowing. Depestoire, butte de merde, my escort yelled, snapping me out of my daze. I feared doing or saying something wrong. Like a dog, I slowly caught to the tone of the French speaker's voice and what he was pointing at. We walked past a courtyard on our left, where there were several dozen recruits in blue tracksuit running sprints over a 20-metre cemented area. Near the fence, there were a few pull-up bars. And just beyond that a tall structure with three thick ropes hanging from it. Several combat uniformed men were shouting at the blues, as they were known, getting their egotistical jollies. But those soldiers didn't display any actual rank and seemed equally clueless. I got the odd feeling that of watching show dogs in a pen being forced to perform for pleasure of their handlers. It all smacked of power and sadism. I suspected that I would be joining the general population sporting those blue tracksuits in a few days after my initial processing. I was rushed to the next building beyond the courtyard, into a bare reception and waiting area. It felt like my own South African Home Affairs office where I had queued all day to renew my passport before coming to France. The corporal chef called me to the counter and a copy of the enlistment contract was shoved in my face. Sign now, he said, as of this moment you are in the French Foreign Legion. Lord, what did I just do? Everything was signed by hand and stamped by an official. Hardened legionnaires spent the entire day shuffling bits of paper and India ink. A working computer was nowhere to be seen. But this was the rigour ever since the legion opened the doors to men who were best never heard from again. I was about to come but an inkblot of an officer's ledger. From dust we come and dust we shall return. Over the course of the afternoon, two other recruits trickled into the room. The first was a young lad with dark eyes and sharp facial features. He wore a black polo neck jumper and a great leather jacket. A dragonfly was tattooed on the side of his shaven head. He must have been in an early morning punch-up with the police after a night of dragging and clubbing as his face was banged up. Without making eye contact, he sat down on the opposite end of my bench, sliding forwards into a slouch, captivated by whatever was on the ancient cathode ray television in the corner. He wasn't interested in talking, so I turned to the recruit who sat behind me. Marcos, he introduced himself with a deep, rich voice. His friendly eyes burst forth from under his monobrow, giving warmth to his round face, which produced a smile the moment I reached to shake his hand. His grip was firm, something I was respected in a man. Marcos had a dark complexion, jet black hair, and didn't seem a day over thirty. He was six feet tall with strong broad shoulders and approachable demeanour and he had the whiff of a Fortune 500 company CEO. For some reason, I immediately liked and trusted him. I'm Alex, I said. You speak English? Yes. Portuguese, Spanish and French too. Where on earth are you from? Brazil. I grew up in Colombia and have been studying French for the two years preparing for the Legion. By nightfall, we were a dozen blokes in a small room. Marcos, the unofficial responsible, greeted each one with his classic handshake and his endearing mixture of their language and his. He was just that sort of guy who made anybody feel ten feet tall. He was also a regional Brazilian jiu-jitsu champion but didn't boast about his accomplishments. Unlike me, he seemed absolutely primed for what lay ahead. Have you any idea what happens next? I asked. It's Friday, and apparently they only take a new recruit on Mondays. So you stuck with most of the personality over there and me for the whole weekend. I never got the memo about recruitment taking place only on business days. Real men don't read the fine print. I had to learn to wait calmly. As with my passport confiscated, that was all we could do. Every single volunteer that was thrown into our drunk tank looked like he was carrying the world on his shoulder. I bet this guy's a former cop, I said. No, club bouncer in Warshaw, replied Marcos. Everyone was broken as if life had been kicking his ass. And this was his only way out. Old Legion memoirs dispelled the myth of being a refuge for criminals and scumbags. The face of the underclass, as Orwell put it, was simply that of hard-working, downtrodden man. Jacob over there is on the run from the Hungarian authorities. He killed a guy in a bar fight last week and faces life if he's arrested, Marcos told me as he shared the story behind every cheerless mug. Jacob sat timidly silent the entire time, afraid to even hurt a fly. Do you believe him? I asked as the young man didn't look like he'd ever been in a fight in his whole life. Judge not, lest thee be judged, Marcus reminded me as we tried to make sense of the boasting bullshit and the truth. You've never been to jail? Everyone's innocent, even the bloke who caught in video. You'll learn quickly that every man has a past, as well as a few lies that he himself believes. Eventually the boredom brought out bizarre and unpleasant behaviours. Guys would pace back and forth relentlessly from one wall to another. One recruit spent the day counting every single brick that made up the adjacent classroom. Dragonfly became physically aggressive and began shoulder-checking others and then cursing at them to provoke a fistfight. Another guy bumped his head on a table for two hours. That's a good idea to keep your sanity, I thought sarcastically. Finally, a corporal chef came into the room crisply shouting, DUSH! here. Not understanding a single word, I followed in Marco's footsteps to avoid getting smacked. We all then stripped down and queued for the showers. Feeling rather uncomfortable, I finished as quickly as possible. Twenty bunk beds were precisely arranged, ten per side, one metre apart. Each was covered in a cheap brown polyester blanket that had probably never been washed. They would have lit a city block if viewed under a black light. Hygiene aside, I was happy to find something soft to crash on and tried to get as much swell to sleep as possible. I lay awake most of the night, trying to block out the sounds and only a dormitory full of strangers could provide. Gasps from the back sounded like a man drowning in his own saliva. Then the fart started, mixed with the aromatic essence of feet and armpits. Bed springs creaked as everyone tossed about. Every hour, one unfortunate alcoholic got up and paced the room. The anxiety from being confined by the legion's walls was getting to him. Up and down he went, between the beds, to the door and back. Alcoholism is a disease of the night, I kept one eye open. As I was barely dipping into REM sleep, the lights came on at 4 o'clock, but suddenly there was a commotion in the back of the dormitory. Jacob and Dragonfly were up in each other's faces, Marcus and another ran up to pull them apart. I saw you going through my wallet, you Russian piece of shit! There was a nasty zero-tolerance policy of thieving in the legion. Since we all feared getting sent home for fighting, Dragonfly got off easy. That bastard would have been lynched if we were in the regiment, Marco confirmed. It doesn't really matter. If you're accepted into the penitentiary on the other side, the legion confiscates or throws away everything on your person, I mumbled as we got on with our day. Petit de, de We heard behind us a smartly dressed corporal chef came through the door. Everyone scrambled to get dressed and ready to follow him for our first meal in the legion. We chaotically trailed our fearless leader and joined a long line of recruits waiting to be served. Not knowing what fare to expect, I was both nervous and excited. I hadn't eaten in a day and could instantly wolf down a full English breakfast. Toast, fried eggs, sunny side up, bacon and baked beans on the side. But I was rudely corrected. When I got to the front of the line, I noticed everyone was picking up a bowl. I presumed we would be getting porridge with a thick pat of butter. However, the bowls were for nothing more than coffee. Is this it? I accidentally asked out loud as I snatched an accompanying company and I then felt a blow against the back of my head. The supervising corporal shouted and then gave me a second smack just to remind me that I was at the bottom of the food chain. After finishing breakfast, which took me an entire five seconds, we were escorted back to our holding room and left to our own devices. Some guys killed the time doing push-ups, sit-ups or dips with the help of two chairs. It was a time-honoured way of establishing authority and who was the alpha. A few scrawny black Africans were running about who I was concerned for, especially when the Russians scowled and spat in their direction. By now I'd almost memorised every word in the recruitment videos played one after another. Every few hours a new recruit would be tossed in. We'd all size them up in seconds as if we were in a no-rules fight club waiting for the bell. But even the simmering discord and cultural animosity, there was some male bonding. We all came from different backgrounds and joined for various reasons, But we were now in the same shit together. Misery loves company. On Monday morning we were finally escorted to a medical hall to start our entrance tests. By now there were 15 of us. Most of them had arrived on the day. They must have read the memo in more detail. I had my blood tested and was otherwise prodded and poked to confirm that I was healthy enough to be fired at. I was then ushered into a tiny interview room. I found myself sitting in front of an on loan French army psychiatrist who looked like the male version of Nurse Ratched from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I wonder what kind of psychological games we were about to play to tell whether I was sane enough, or too sane, to join the Legion. He wore a wrinkled uniform and had his name pinned on his breast. Bernheim. Do you have a criminal record? he asked, not looking at me. Was that a trick question? Would a rap sheet put me in the front of the queue? No. Petty crimes? He continued, appearing to be writing down his observations. No. Have you killed anyone? No, but I'd like to right now, I muttered under my breath. He finally looked up at me, peering over small round spectacles. Without a word, he closed my file, set it aside and grabbed the succeeding one. Gentile soldiers were born to fight. Born, fit for duty. He nodded his head towards the door. Next. The subsequent step in the process, known as the interview with the Gestapo, brought him before a sergeant chef with the French intelligence services. This is where every man was stripped bare to his soul. While the legion would protect a man's identity at all costs, they hated secrets. The English-speaking sergeant chef, interrogator, leaned forward on his elbow. He was wearing the formal mud-green jacket of the legion with several insignia and badges on his shoulders and chest. His face was wrinkled by the years in the sun, and he moved like an heuristic pensioner, though he didn't look a day older than forty. Name? he asked. Alex de Brain. Sir, I'm sure you mean to say sir. Yes sir, Alex de Braine, sir. Why do you wish to join the French Foreign Legion? I want to be an elite warrior. I'm looking for an adventure and I never want to back down from a fight sir. He looked at me in the eye. You young man, do you have an education? Yes sir. A corporal then suddenly entered the room, grabbed me by the lapels and accused me of lying. After shaking me about he was then told to wait outside. Sorry for the corporal, he means no harm. I'm not like him. I just want to be you to be honest. Now, do you have a family? Yes, sir. On the sheet, write down your life story. Each name, place, date, school, job, bank account, girlfriend. Leave nothing out. Oh, and write only on one side of the page. My fingers cramped as I recalled every minuscule detail. Fine, he said, barely skimming my scribbles. He then paused and weighed me up. I held his gaze. He then relaxed, sat back in his chair and folded his hands on his lap. You will surely desert within two years, he shrugged smugly. You have too much going for you in real life. Unperturbed, I spoke confidently. I'll prove you wrong, sir, and if selected, I'll finish first in my class. Consider it written. Pride swelled up to me. Nobody tells it the brain that will fail. He leaned forward again. He must have seen many a man come through his office. Promise me one thing. The day you realise that you've had enough, pack your bags and quickly get the hell out of here. Understand? I bowed up. That won't be necessary, sir." Rage filled my soul, displacing any lingering self-doubts. Was this the sergeant chef's way of mind, fucking me? I was determined to be a five-year Johnny, come hallo high water. You are a proud man. I am a proud old legionnaire. But I also recognise that there are certain prides that kill. I sat motionless without even blinking. As you wish, lad, he added with a slight smile on his face, breaking the awkward silence. So, if someone comes to the Legion and asks for you, what do we tell them? I gave a vague response. I have nothing to hide, sir. As of now, your name is Darkley, Albert, he said with a signed piece of paper and closed my file. You are dismissed, but remember, if we ever meet again in two years after your desert, I will not be so kind. Consider this our last talk as gentlemen. Albert Darkley? My nom de guerre sounded something out of a comic book, spy thriller, Donnie Darko film. A man without a country, I no longer belonged to either my homeland or my family name. My soul was on loan to the Legion. I felt a mixture of excitement and apprehension as the thought of trading all that to play a soldier. But I knew that in just a few years, I'd have an epic story to tell my grandchildren. An hour later, Marcus and I were decked out in blue tracksuits and cheap canvas sneakers. Carrying a plastic bag of soap, disposable razors and toilet paper, we were then chucked into the courtyard under the afternoon sun with several hundred other buoyant men hoping to pass to the next stage of selection. By hook or by crook, each morning all blues were taken on a five-kilometre run, most likely to spot any unfit rejects. Upon return, most of the blues were assigned to work detail. It wasn't by accident that there was not a single rose petal to be seen on any legion parade ground. Since the regiment had hundreds of blues, it was the shiniest regiment of all. Before a volunteer got his hands on a rifle, he had to master the intricacies of a shit-clogged toilet with a coat hanger. Nobody spoke a word, as there was no common language and we communicated by grunts and threats. Those not on work duty hardly had it much better, since they did nothing more than stand around in the prison courtyard. Complain and hate their lives. Compared to naval gazing, washing a mountain of pots and pans was a treat. There was pushing and shoving, with the bigger blokes having their way with the weaker ones. The bullies all seemed to speak Russian. One morning, Marcus was tasked with the de-weeding of flower beds near the mess hall entrance, and I got kitchen duty. By chance, I ran into the only other Anglophone in the pen, an American former marine. He introduced himself by nom de guerre, Daniels. The Legion generally saw American recruits as soft but made a special exception for the rebel. Daniels had attained the rank of sergeant and survived two tours in Iraq. His bright eyes were not yet dulled by war, but they had held a tinge of sadness. What interested you in the Legion, I asked, as this seemed a good opener to any conversation while we were both elbows deep in milky dishwater. He turned his head and exposed a dragon tattoo across his neck. After I got this stupid thing, the corpse wouldn't let me re-enlist. Daniels answered. The legion became our next best option. Mate, now how about you tell me the real reason you left the marines? I kept digging. I'm from a long line of southern fighters. My old man joined the corps when he was 16. My granddad was also a marine. But I was fucked up after my second stint in the sandbox. I tried the civilian thing. Civvy Street, as you guys call it. And now, why don't you want to try military life again? I continued. My mind wasn't right, and it still ain't. I wasn't a good civilian, I burned my bridges with the marines, so I came here to work through my shit. I'll take the devil that I know, pick your poison. Speaking with his shoulders back and his head erect, Daniel was a born soldier, a man who knew nothing but how to do that and do it well. So what happened on your second tour? I asked, trying not to badger him. It wasn't that stint that broke me, but the time after it. I've seen death and he actually has an appealing face. Fighting is addictive. When I got home, I couldn't handle the silence. I'd have nightmares of friends being blown up by roadside bombs or Iraqis found in torture houses. I'd wake up in cold sweats with birds chirping and kids playing outside. The VA shrink put me on medication, but they only made the shit worse. I hated those smiling civilians in the SUVs who had no idea what we endured for their pathetic asses. Weren't most of you guys well received after the war? I asked naively. Ain't no such thing in real life hero. Once you're back in civvies, nobody gives a shit. But the journalists love us. We gave them some damn good stories. And I see soldiering as just another job. I don't need all the red, white, and blue, star, stripes, propaganda. Do you know what PTSD is? He asked. Um, the bad effects after fear and stress? No, it's your conscience telling you that you're a piece of shit. You ever been in a situation where you could have saved a life but didn't because you were scared? You ever let a man burn to death? You ever did anything that haunts you for the rest of your life? We ain't saints or sinners. We're just the unlucky bastard tested by gods by being thrown into ethical situations that would make a civilian skin crawl. How do you handle your PTSD? By being in combat. That's the only thing I where I feel normal. I think the legion will offer me lots of that. If it doesn't, I hope to die in a blaze of glory with my boots on. I'm already dead, Daniel finished. Every man had his story. Seeking safety in numbers, blues clustered in different mafias, groups based upon language and nationality. The most prominent was the Mafia russe, who occupied the northern section of the rear yard. They spent much of their time lifting heavy objects, intimidating anyone walking past. A tiny Mafia Anglais consisted of any native English-speaking, We occupied an area on the gravel overlooking the smashed-up basketball court. Our favourite pastime was talking shit about the filthy Russians. But unlike most other groups, we had decent lives to return to. We even had a few thinkers and romantics among us. With our fine grasp of the English language, education and straight teeth, we were sometimes arrogant a lot. As such, Anglophones were hated by the Legion as a whole, and especially by the Mafia Francophone. Down on the court, any unfortunate not part of a mafia wandered alone in circles for hours, trying not to get anybody's bad side. This prison yard was where everyone lost their minds, and basic training was where we found some semblance of sanity. Amid the blues, there were those who passed selection and were officially slotted into instruction. This gave the elect a small jump in rank amongst the volunteers in the title of Rouge. They shared their track shoots and proudly wore the Legion-issue combats. Plato said that the measure of a man is what he does with power. This being promoted to Rouge was too much of an ego boost for many. Feeling that they were already corporals, the Rouge immediately bossed around the Blues. But the Blues had to suffer in silence, since they too aspired to be Rouge and not get tossed off for standing up for themselves. Sure enough, we witnessed this dynamic when two Senegalese chaps got into a massive punch-up over something as petty as a bed inspection. Two days earlier, they were sitting, both in their blue tracksuits, laughing and sharing food that they smuggled out of the mess hall. The smaller of the two was promoted to Rouge first, and was on the call that night. They calmly argued in French, but things quickly got heated, and then out of nowhere the blue cracked the Rouge right in the jaw, sending him stumbling backwards, holding his mouth as if he was pushing his teeth back in. Put the, merde, the Rouge shouted as he launched himself towards the aggressor, tackling him straight into the corner of the bed. The pair spent the next five minutes rolling on the floor like women in a mud wrestling match, each trying to get a cheap shot in. It wasn't an impressive scrap, but a fight to the death, nonetheless. Either bloke would have gouged out the other's eyes if he had the chance. Brawls in the legion, two men enter, one man leaves. The burly Polish duty corporal shouted as he entered with a look of disgust on his face. Everyone sprang to attention except the pugilists who were still rolling about. As if he had caught two dogs fighting, the corporal kicked the larger of the two, who was now on top right in the ribs which separated them immediately. They were marched out of the gates, never to be seen again. The abuse and resentment of power cost these two men's lives dreams. Then again, maybe God smiled upon those poor sods and got them out of a shittier situation than that from which they had come. Peace be with them. Every evening, the compound was called to the assembly block to stand at attention before the corporals. The colder it was, the longer we would wait, with any movement resulting in push-ups. ''Who wants to leave?'' we all asked. One need simply raise his hand, and he had been escorted to freedom with no questions asked. It was a shameful way to go, but I did envy them. Only decades before, blues were held under the lock and key, but these days Legion only wanted men who wished to be there, unless, as I learned, they could force you to stay. Many of the volunteers I walked in with eventually tapped out. Including Dragonfly. I wasted hours questioning my own decision to join Wondering if it would be more exciting to sit behind a desk as an accountant. I took a superhuman effort to stay But I convinced myself that this was just part of the bullshit. I had to endure before the proper soldiering began The latter part of selection consisted of a physical fitness test and a psychometric one to assess both one's personality and reasoning skills But to become rouge, we had to pass every examination just to make sure a volunteer wasn't a complete waste of oxygen. Not surprisingly, there were scores of wealthy Latin American kids who had just graduated from private schools. In the mix were also drug addicts, homeless men and French teens who had just gone upset with their parents that morning and decided to show them who was boss. Since its inception, the Legion was renowned for accomplishing superhuman feats of physical fitness. The legion could march for weeks on end with little or no food, with several legionnaires expected to die along the way. To even to be considered for selection, one had to be an exceptionally fit man. But as the legion was dragged, kicking and screaming in line with the regular French army, times had changed. Yet, like all laws, organisations always find a workaround. And while my generation of recruits may not have been supermen, the legion would make them into such in due course. The physical standard was to perform a mere three push-ups and four pull-ups with a VO2 max test to measure endurance. Even then, I was astonished to see how many failed that basic requirement. Your preparations getting here won't be wasted, Marco said to me, noting my disenchantment. But I thought that the Legion was the best of the best. Look at all these assholes in the course you are trying to get into this army. They only take in a handful. The garbage gets taken out early and the cowards asked to go home. But if a guy's still here, like us, then he's damn good prospect. The cream always rises to the top, don't be put off by the stupid formalities. Sweat saves blood, and the unprepared will curse the day they were born after their first march. The legion only selected roughly 30 recruits per month to be shipped to the southern western part of Castelnaudry to begin the instruction. As the days passed, only Marcos, the Yankee and I were left from our initial ragtag bunch Fate rewarded us tolerance and diligence. As the entire parade ground stood at attention one morning, the corporals called upon Markerson. I'd stuffed sachets of sugar in my pockets after lunch and I was terrified that I'd be called out, beaten in front of the others and sent home. But then a dozen other names were announced. All I could understand was Section, Rouge, Naudry, Instruction. We made it! We were all then marched off together to the parade square, saluted the tricolour and led to the material store, free from harassment from our handlers. In line with all tribal rites of passage, we too participated in the legion's tradition of shaving each other's heads and crowning ourselves with a coveted green beret. You like my round, pale, shaved head? I asked Marco as we high-fived. Uniformity and conformity is a strong male essence. Once all of us looked exactly alike, akin to bold tattoo convicts, we were issued our combat kits. Women love dresses and shoes. Men love sturdy uniforms. Like kids on Christmas morning, everyone bowed up proudly as we donned our new combats. The feel and colour of the denim were crisp, as was the smell of our fresh leather boots. One could have put a broom handle in our hands and every one of us would have sworn that we were trained killers. Boys can be a simple lot, and I was no different, but the legion knew this all too well. After ragging and goading each other of our new gear, we got into our high quality, immaculately dressed uniforms and we were led to a very special corner of the regiment. We entered the Musée de la Légion through the steel gate shaped in the legion's flaming grenade, past various battle flags enclosed in glass. In the corner of section of the own crypt, on the walls etched in gold, were the names of each officer who had sacrificed his life. The foreign legion, modern Catholic crusaders celebrate death. Any soldier can fight, the legionnaire can die. The blood of these fallen volunteers washed away our pasts as well. The church militant and the church triumphant Those in hell don't count. A church doesn't simply count the living as its current members. Though we were nominal Christians at best, along with a few Muslims and African animists, the legion stood firm with its politically incorrect Christian traditions and heritage. If one expected special meals, holy days or specific chaplains, then this wasn't the army for him. Nobody knew what to expect until we were formed around a neon-lit cross embedded in the granite floor. I felt chills down my spine as I stepped over it to get to the other side. Christ knows your sacrifices, I whispered. Standing shoulder to shoulder along the walls of the adjacent room, we were handed our signed five-year contract by a major who had come to welcome his new recruits. Engage-volunteer d'Aclay, the major announced as he stopped in front of me, his uniform pristine and the golden lines on his epaulets glistening. Présent, major. I proclaimed, feeling ten feet tall, as I immediately came to attention and raised my right hand, open palm, to salute our demigod. Afterward, we filed past the encased wooden hand of the heroic Capitan Dandrew. The experience left me breathless. I belonged. We all belonged. After being dismissed, fantasies were shared of what we hoped instruction would be like. Guys who knew someone who served retold stories of how tough it really was. No matter which books one read or what story we heard, nobody could fathom what to expect. I was about to find my own truth, even if it cost me my life. Walk the walk, and if you judge, do so only after marching in another man's boots. I was shedding my old skin, not knowing that sometimes the old wine will rupture fresh new wineskins. Within an hour after being chucked back into the holding pen, every rouge forgot the moments earlier where there were blues. Comrades came slaves in an instant. Instructions were barked out as soon as the corporals left. I refrained from abusing the others, but was helpless at keeping the bad apples from doing so. The remaining week of toil and boredom was perfectly bearable, as the camouflage combats versus the blue tracksuits made all the difference in life. If we could remain rouge and never actually be real legionnaires, that would have suited most of us. A week later, our sugar high came to an abrupt halt when our instruction corporals reared their ugly heads. We waved to the desperate-looking blues and lugged our kits onto a French army bus that would take us to the waiting train. Waiting on the platform were two impeccably dressed sergeants, who both wore black keppies, reserved for NCOs and above. They were flanked by two equally smart-looking corporals wearing kepi blancs. Although sergeants in most armies were responsible for training-level tasks, the Legion's glacial promotion regime meant that the corporals were in charge of our daily duties, while the sergeant provided most organisational leadership. Officers were an even rarer and princely lot. With the odd exception, they were French citizens and army academy graduates who were only concerned about finishing their secondment to the legion and future political careers. Many Algeria-era veterans spoke fondly of Captain Jean-Marie La Pen, former leader of the far-right Front National Party. Corporal Bolden was a muscular, olive-skinned Argentinian specimen of a legionnaire. His Anglo surname didn't seem to match him and he was rumoured to speak fluent English. Corporal Basil, our other instructor, was a short, stocky Bulgarian with a kind face. It's going to be awesome, Marcus whispers as we walked towards the gate, a full military-issue bag in hand. Kiss, Corporal Borden shouted at Marcos, who seemed a bit too proud of himself. Ryan, Corporal! As Marcus let out this last syllable, Borden gave him a massive right hook to the gut. Marcus dropped both of his bags and fell to his knees, trying to recoup his breath. Nothing will be awesome, Corporal Borden muttered as he stared me down. "We, Corporal, I responded, helping Marcus to his feet, realising that life would be a little different than that in Auburn. Welcome to the French Foreign Legion, faggots. I rocked from side to side as the train left Auburn and chugged through the picturesque countryside of southern France. I was pensive, looking down at my fingers, playing absently with my new identity card. Something didn't feel right. There were over 30 other recruits in the car, about a third of them Francophones, a third Russians and Eastern Europeans, and a third Western Europeans, Latin Americans and a few Asians. Though the legion was restricted to non-French foreigners, there was a loophole for native criminals that allowed them to enlist as Belgians, Swiss or Canadians. Among us was a diminutive but cheerful Mongolian. Nobody else spoke his tongue, so he got on but little Russian that he knew. He barely seemed old enough to be in the legion, and we had no no idea how he had passed the selection process. But he was generous, honest and hard-working, too saintly for a place like this. The Mafia Rus nicknamed him Meshkin. Also in the mix was a serious looking Central Asian of unknown origin who no one dared look at or touch. He kept to himself and stayed under the radar. Harak was a Moroccan francophone. Petty drug dealer and a practising Muslim who had somehow convinced himself to join the remnants of France's colonial forces. I looked forward to getting my hands on an assault rifle, automatic pistols, grenades and rocket launchers. I imagined long grueling marches in the snow of the Pyrenees to the song Eye of the Tiger. Darkly! shouted Corporal Basil. Back here! Now! I expected we be belted for helping Marcos up off the deck. We Corporal! I said, trying to catch up my breath. I hear you play rugby. Um, I do, or did. I don't really compete anymore. You know that the Legion has no sport. Watch yourself. But then he cracked a warm smile. Hey, so tell me, did you play for South Africa? The Springboks are my favourite team. I played rugby in my home country, but it is still a small sport. I'm not so big, but I was good. Really, I was. It was obvious that he was a far more skilled superfan than he was a rugby player. But I was pleasantly surprised by his demeanour. And don't even get me started on the All Blacks, World Cup Final of 95. He finished in a low tone. We'll talk later. Just hang in there. By the time the train pulled up into our destination, heading directly into the setting sun, we were all alive with enthusiasm. But the cosy atmosphere of our rail car was contrasted by a bone chilling gust of air coming down from the sounding mountains. Winter was still in full force. I realised that I should have skipped all my months of preparation and joined in the summer. I'd have been in the regiment by now. Just as we arrived, our salty-looking sergeants then announced that we would be heading to the courtier Capitaine d'Anjou in Castelnaudry, the 4th Regiment étranger. From that day on, simply hearing the word Castel sent shivers down my spine. We then hopped onto the waiting legion coach. It lurched forwards and slowly made its way up the winding country road. Our road to Damascus we <laughs>